that better? Good morning. Wes is in the house. <laughs> Can you turn me down just a little bit? Good, good. Just go. It's too loud. Oh, okay. The fans are gone. Okay. That's good. Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And uh, if you would, please open your Bibles to Ephesians. We'll, we'll, we'll get going. Um, I just wanted to kind of pump the Sunday school a little bit, what Dick's going to go over coming up. You know, Martin said, you know, everything he could. It's, it's going to be really good and probably something that's really beneficial to all of us. So I would encourage everybody to, to come. Dick does a fantastic job, and I just wanted to just thank Dick and Martin. You know, you guys shepherd this little body, and what a, what a gift you guys are to, to shepherd them. And, you know, um, stepping up after Alan passed away, what a tremendous job they've done and I would uh, pray that you know through the week everybody would maybe encourage them as they they move forward with this and uh, but you have two two brilliant shepherds that are caring for your souls and so I'd uh, you know just encourage you to lift them up so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll we'll, we'll dig into this Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we're thankful that you do know our names. They are graven in your hands. Father, thank you for this. What a blessing it is for us. And today, Lord, as we look at these first few verses in Ephesians, I pray, Lord, that you would be the one who is glorified and you are the one who is set on display, that we would see your majesty that we would see your love and that we would see how incredible you truly are lords toward us father i pray you be with all those that are preaching today that you would give all your ministers of your word wisdom and knowledge and understanding in your word father that all those who hear that their hearts would be open and their eyes would be open and their ears would hear of how marvelous and glorious you are. So may you do this to the praise of your glory, Lord, and for our good, in your name, amen. Amen. So theology is a great thing, and we can take pride in our theology, and I think that is good that when we grasp theology, but does theology lead us in the right direction? So we can have a a good understanding of theology. We could have a a good understanding of who God is, right? We could have his characteristics that he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, meaning that he's he's everywhere present, he's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. We can know that he's immutable, that he's never changing. We can know these things about God, we could uh, understand his mercy and his grace and his, his compassion towards us, which is all good. We can have a, 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 a good understanding of uh, our, our Christology, our, our, uh, our view of Christ and the person and work of Christ, or pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. We can have a grasp on all these things. We can have a grasp on the atonement, on the resurrection, on the ascension. We can have a, a grasp on the gospel. 
We can have a grasp on prophecy. We can have a grasp on end times, wherever you land on end times. You can have a grasp on your view of whether it's premillennial or postmillennial or all millennial. You can have these, these grasp on this. But does it lead us in the right direction when we have all these massively great doctrines? What do they do to our heart? See, we can store all these massively great doctrines up here. But they have to get here. And when they get here, this is when our theology turns to doxology. Doxology is worship. We need to get our theology here, from here into here so our theology goes from our minds to our hearts where our doxology is. This is what I want us to look at today. We're going to look at one great doctrine here, which is it's such a precious, precious, beautiful doctrine. Look at verses in Ephesians. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, pay attention here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved we can just stop and pray and go home right now, right? I mean, what a package that section is. Forgive me, my mouth is really dry today. So this is what we're going to unpack today. We're going to unpack this doctrine of election. We're going to unpack this, this beautiful doctrine of election. But first, I want us to look at verses, verse 3. We see six things in verse 3 alone. Verse 3 can be a sermon within itself. So we see six things within there. First of all, we see the blessed one, right? God is the blessed one. Paul starts off in verse 3 and he says, Blessed be the God and Father. This word blessed, it means one who is to be praised, commended. It's where we get our word eulogy from. That's the Greek word. It's where we get our word eulogy from. So when somebody does a a, a eulogy at a funeral, they talk about the goodness of that person. And so this is where that word comes from, this goodness of God. But this goodness is to be praised. This goodness is to be praised. And as, as we continue in that, we look at not only is God the blessed one, the one who is to be praised, but he is the giver of the blessing, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He is the giver of the blessing. That's the second thing we see. The third thing we we, we see is that we are the recipients of those blessings. He has blessed us. James 1.17, he says in James 1.17, he says, every good gift is from the Father. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above us. So we see that God is the blesser. He is the giver. The, the, the fourth thing we, we see is the blessings, right? Every spiritual blessing. This, this area with the, the spiritual, what we mean by spiritual is this is the origins that they're in. 
because God blesses us not only with spiritual blessings, but he blesses us with material blessings. But they're in the spiritual. That's where they originate, is in the spiritual. With every spiritual blessing, everything that we have is a blessing from God. Fifthly, we see this. The place of the blessings is in the heavenly places. This essentially is the full extent of God's operation. The heavenly places. The full extent of God's operations. And six, we see the agent of the blessing is Jesus Christ. So with those six things, look at that verse again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, this union with Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so then he leads into this first blessing where he needs to be praised and glorified. And this is it. This is our first point. God is praised in our election. He is praised in the choosing of us. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So we see that this choosing of us is sovereignly done by God. This choosing is to pick out, to choose out as a recipient a special favor or privilege. The Greek context of this word choose, this we, we have to understand this, is, is, is in the area, it's an aorist, which, you know, you can take or leave, however you want to look at it. But what it indicates is that God is not only doing the choosing, but he's doing the choosing by himself and to himself. This is our choosing. This is our election. If you're a believer in Christ, God has chose you when? Before the foundations of the world, before the heavens were even created, before there was a planet created, before there was plants created, before there was lights created, God chose you, picked you for himself, by himself, to be his child. This is praise to God. And this is praise to God because you know what this does? It takes us out of the complete picture, doesn't it? There's nothing we have done. There's nothing we've done to earn it, to merit it. It wasn't based on good works. It wasn't based on if you went to Boy Scouts or what kind of groups you were in or Girl Scouts. It wasn't based on any of that. And we're going to see later on what it was based on. But we know that it was nothing of us because it was before the foundations of the world that God chose us in Christ. We did nothing to earn it. This is who he chooses. He chooses those who said, crucify, crucify. He chooses those that are shaking their fist at him all the time. He chooses those who persecuted Christ. He chooses those who were his enemies, according to Romans chapter 5. You know what that means, brothers and sisters? He chose you and I. This is what the blessed God of our fa- the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ does. He is blessed. He is to be praised for his unconditional electing of his church body that he chose us. So here we go. God chooses his people. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, 
for you were the fewest of all the people. Psalms 135.4 For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Isaiah 41.8 But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. In the Old Testament, we see this choosing all over the place. God chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose uh, Jacob. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. We're going to look at some other stuff. We got some things on here. But we, but, but we, see, this cho- we, we, we see this choosing in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament of his people, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And in Romans chapter 9, we, we, we see this choosing. Before uh, God says in Romans 9, before uh, they did anything good or bad, Jacob and Esau, they were twins. God says for the purpose of election, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. They were in the womb. Before either one of them did this, anything good, anything bad, God set his affections upon Jacob and not Esau. So what that means is just because you were a Jew doesn't mean that that you're saved. Doesn't mean you're automatically saved. Look at Romans 9, 9, 6. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. So Paul, in these first five verses, he, he uh, comes out in Romans 9 and he talks about how he would rather give up his own salvation for the sake of his brethren to be saved. This is how much Paul loved his kinsmen. This how much Paul loved his Jewish heritage. It's how much Paul loved this, that he would rather be condemned in himself so that, so that his kinsmen would be saved. But he says in 9.6, he says, But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not, all of, and not all are children of Abraham because they are the offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So just because you were a Jew nationally didn't mean that you were automatically saved. It's still according to God's choosing. So this brings us to this. God chooses for salvation. God is the one who chooses for salvation. Look at John ten sixteen. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's what Jesus is saying. Gentiles, you and I, Gentiles. See, in that time there was Jew and there was Gentile, right? There was the Jew and then there was the rest of the world. And this is what Jesus is saying. Not only do I have, do I have these Jewish people, but I have others that I must bring into the fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This appointing, this electing. We, we, we see this appointment in our governments, do we not? When they appoint certain, area, certain people in certain positions. 
It's an appointment. The president appoints. The president chooses that person. Same wording here. And as many were appointed to eternal life. Who are those that were appointed to eternal life? Back in Ephesians, those who God chose before the foundations of the world. They believed. They responded to the gospel. Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and 14, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. They're elected exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we see clearly in the Bible, in the text, where God chooses. We see that all who are chosen will come to Christ. In John chapter 6, there's this great section of verses in John chapter 6. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All the chosen will come to Christ. The Father draws us to Christ. He draws us to Christ. This drawing, it carries the idea of an irresistible force. There's this irresistible force that draws us to Christ. It's like someone who's in a desert and they're parched and they see a gallon of water. They're going to be drawn to that water. That water is that irresistible force. This is, the, this is what we, we see with this drawing, this drawing effect. This is what it says, John six forty one. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. This drawing, brothers and sisters, this is what happens. God draws us. He draws us with cords of loving kindness, does he not? That's the irresistible force. He gets you and he draws you to himself. He draws you to who he is. You see how good he is and he draws you. You see how great his characteristics are and he draws you to praise him, to glorify him. This is what he does. He draws us. But even in this section in John, even Jesus says that not all are chosen. John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They see, but they are blinded. John 12 says this, 
Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he had heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, and then it goes on, John twelve forty. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Turn to John chapter 3. I added this in this morning as I was thinking through this. If we go to John chapter 3, Jesus has this conversation in John chapter 3 with a... Uh, with uh, re- one of the religious leaders, and his name was what? What was his name? In John chapter 3? Nicodemus, right? And we're going to pick on Nicodemus a little bit, just, just so we could see this blinding, right? This, this blinding, and, and until God takes the scales off of our eyes, right? This blinding. So we, we see here in, in one, there, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born if he is old? Can he enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's the blindness of Nicodemus, right? Jesus comes and he says this. Later on, Nicodemus, his eyes were open because God opened his eyes. But he, but he said, um, but Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is standing in front of the kingdom. The kingdom is right in front of him. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus is the king. He is the one we are united with. We are the ones we enter in with. He's right in front of him. And Nicodemus doesn't see him. This is the blinding that Satan can do to us. Brothers and sisters, have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus as the scriptures unfold before you and he's right before your eyes? Or are you still blind and you don't see the king of glory? Nicodemus didn't see him, but later he did. Later he did. John MacArthur says this on this electing, on this election. Any teaching that diminishes the sovereign electing love of God by giving more credit to man also diminishes God's glory. Thus, striking a blow at the very purpose of salvation. Brilliantly, simply put. John Chadwick wrote this. I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew him. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. Did you guys get that, those shifts? Even though we think we're seeking him, in reality what it is is he's seeking us. He's seeking us. It's not that we have set our affections on Jesus to chase after him. It's that Jesus has put his affections upon us and we come after him because we see him as he is. Now, this election, it has a purpose. This election has a purpose and this is the purpose. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. This is the purpose, verse 4, that we should be holy, we should be pure, righteous, set apart. We are to be sanctified. Now, this sanctification, this is another doctrine that is this massive doctrine, but it has two positions. Sanctification has two points. It has a positional point, and it has a progressive point, right? We are already sanctified. This is the positional sanctification. We have been sanctified. We are set apart. We are holy. 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6-9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's to us. And such were some of you. We were the drunkards and the revilers and the idolaters and the sexually immoral and the swindlers. Such were you, Paul says. But then here's what he says. And such were some of you. But you were washed. (laughs) We were washed, past tense. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hebrews 10 puts it this way. When he's... When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to you to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have this positional sanctification where we are holy before God completely holy brothers and sisters you sit here in the already but not yet we all sit here as believers in christ completely holy not a blemish on you why because you're in christ and he is the unblemished lamb of god progressive sanctification this is where it gets tough is progressive sanctification. This is us pursuing holiness. This is us pursuing holiness. Romans 6.19 says this, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, this is our bodies, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Our mouths, our eyes, our fingers, our toes, our bodies, everything that we have is now to be presented. We are to present that because we are holy. We're to be striving for that, that we are presented to righteousness. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work it out. Our salvation is to be worked out. We are to pursue holiness. But listen, here's the beauty part of it. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
So as we pursue this holiness, as we move towards holiness, this is, this is those spots where, you know, where when we were first saved, there was some sins that were like, oh, yeah, no, those aren't bad. And then as a few years down the road, you were like, oh, oh man, that's really bad. That's progressive holiness. That's progressive sanctification. That's us growing in Christ. That's us pursuing holiness. But we have to understand one thing. It's not us. It's God who works in us. It's God who's working in us. We're to be blameless, unstained, unsoiled, undefiled, without defect. Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Philippians 2.14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Does this not describe our generation? Crooked and twisted? This describes our generation. It described Paul's generation when he wrote it to the Philippians, right? This way he says, he says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. This verse is not me. If this verse was me, I would write it this way. I do everything with grumbling and complaining. Because I don't get my way. That's why I grumble and I complain. Because people don't always agree with me. So I grumble and I complain. Because I don't get my way. But that's not what Paul's saying. As children of God, because we are in Christ, because of this glorious election, because of what God has done for us, he tells us to do all these things without grumbling and complaining. Why? Because it shows that you are children of God without blemish. That is why, brothers and sisters, that is why. And it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is what Christ has done on the cross for us. He presents us now. We are presented to the Father. Can, can, can you see that? Christ goes and he presents us to the Father holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. We'll get into that in Ephesians 5 when we talk about how he does that as his bride, the bride of Christ. Men that are married, this is a sidebar. I'm going to go over it tonight, today, but this is a sidebar. This is our call. Husbands, look at me. Our call is to be sure we get our wives back to Jesus better than we got them. That's what our call is, to present them to Jesus better. Big call, big call. But I just want to encourage you guys. Hey, a lot of men in here, we should be encouraging each other in this area. We should be praying for each other in this area. Debbie, put that on the prayer list, that the men would lead their wives to glory and to Christ. So we are holy and we are blameless before Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are already this. We should pursue holiness because we are already holy. Ephesians 5.27 puts it this way. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless without blemish. Colossians 2.10 And you have been filled, you have been completed in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
Because God sees you and I holy and blameless, this is exactly why we should pursue holiness. Now, this electing love that, that, that Ephesians talks about, this choosing and this being holy and blameless, it has a motivation behind it. And it's God's affections, is it not? It's God's affections. Listen to Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. At the end of Ephesians 4, it says, in love he predestined us. We see his affections towards us. We're to praise God for these affections. And what's it look like? In love, he predestined us. He predestined us in love. Keep in mind, this is all before the foundations of the world. He predestined us. Predestined means to mark out beforehand, to ordain beforehand. Therefore, God in his love marked us out, ordained us to be saved before the foundations of the world. This word love is agape love. It's this love that is attributed to God. It's a love that is not emotional, but it's a disposition of the heart to seek what is best for others. This is exactly what Jesus does. He comes and he seeks the best for others John 15 13 greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends or that one lays down his life for his friends is this not what Jesus does greater love Jesus is a greater love how do we know it's a greater love because he lays down his life for his friends he lays down his life for his bride he lays down his life for the chosen This is what he does, and there's no greater love. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This motivation for this election that we bring praise to God is his affections towards us in love. So what is the result of this election? Ephesians 1, 5. It's the adoption of, the adoption to himself according to his good, his purpose of his will. This word purpose is good pleasure, good intention, good desire. Put that in there. He predestined us for adoption to himself, his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of him, the purpose of him, the good intentions, according to his desire. This is why we are predestined as adoptions of son. And what a beautiful picture of adoption is right? Let's just take adoption as itself. We have friends that live in, well, we, my family are, uh, my mom and dad's, my niece, my mom and dad's granddaughter, she's adopted. My brother adopted her before she did anything good or bad. He adopted her, and she's a Cardano, and she has every benefit of a Cardano. I mean, she even looks like us a little bit, which is kind of crazy, right? We have friends that uh, some of you know, uh, Nate and Muriel Shin, their son, Nathan, married Whitney, and they did a mission trip to Calcutta, and Whitney worked in the orphanage, and Nathan went and did some other stuff, and Nathan told Whitney, we're not adopting. And he came back, and Whitney had little Udi in her arms, and guess what? They adopted. But this was an orphanage of all these children, and Whitney picked Udi. She picked Udi. Out of all those kids, she picked Udi. It's the same picture. You see how precious that adoption is? God has adopted us as his children. It's a beautiful picture. 
Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Look at the relationship. That Abba, Father is translated Daddy or Papa, right? All you fathers out here, hey, look, we have little daughters. They know how to get us. They just come up to us and hug us and say, Daddy, Daddy, oh, man. My son calls me Dad. Look, I can turn down Dad any day. Hey, Dad. But my daughter, she come up, Daddy, oh, sweetheart, here's the bank account number, whatever you need, right? We have that preciousness, right, that we get to call him Daddy, we get to call him daddy. What intimacy? Romans eight twenty three. And not only the creation, but ourselves, but we have first fruits of the spirit. Grown inwardly, we, we wait eagerly for adoption, for adoptions as sons. Galatians 4, 3. In the same way, we also, when we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see how, you see how our, our, our theology turns to doxology? You see how we need to come here today and we need to praise and we need to worship God because of what he's done in us, in spite of us. Not because we did something or we earned something. We have this adoption. God is to be praised for his grace. Ephesians 1, 6. It's to the praise of his glorious grace with, he, which, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The ultimate purpose of our election is to God's glory. It's to glorify him. It's to put him on glorious display. Ephesians 1, 12 puts it this way. So that you, so that who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? You get the point? The picture, our election, our adoption is to the praise of his glory. We are not to be boastful in this this election should humble us greatly should humble us greatly not build us up but humble us because it was in spite of us second thessalonians 1:11 to this end we always pray for you that our god may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the lord jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Bride of Christ, in closing, may we remember this today, may we remember this, that God's choosing of us to salvation was before the foundations of the world, so that no man could boast or take any credit, robbing God of his glory. Salvation is not partly of man and partly of God. To solidify this, everything was taken care of before any planet was formed or any human was created. Therefore, your salvation and my salvation is a blessing to us and a praise to him. So may we live lives that are to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, how, how, my, how my heart just wants to just stay there and just to teep, teach how much deeper this, these blessings are, Lord. We just, we just scratch the surface of this.
We just scratch it. So Lord, please, as we scratch it just today, Lord, I beg of you, give us just a nugget. Give us a nugget to hold on to for the week that when we wake in the morning and we hit our knees to pray to you, that we would see, Father, how blessed of a people we are because of your electing love in our life. Father, will you do this, please, for us, not only for us here at Faith Bible, but for all those you have chosen in all the nations of the world. May we praise you. May our theology be turned into doxology, Lord. May it not be knowledge and wisdom that we could compete with the best philosophers with, but may our theology drive us to worship and the praise of you. In your name, I ask all these things. Amen. Would you please stand as we have our closing song? I stand amazed.